Hello, and welcome to Into the Fire, a Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series. director of Burning Coal Theater Company and our guest today on our podcast series is Emily Rainai who uh, several years ago four years ago I think directed uh, Romeo and Juliet for us um, after having played uh, one of the two title roles uh, 20 years ago something like that 20 something years ago sure. um, <laughs> and um, so uh, Emily is joining us from Boston uh, where uh, she is now the artistic director of the Wheelock Family Theater, uh, the fourth largest theater in Boston, uh, as I remember. Um, that is correct by audience size. Yeah, and so you have about 700 seats to fill and, and can't fill any of them right now. Can you tell us just a little bit, Emily, about what's going on up there? I know Boston is a little bit of a problem place uh, where the pandemic is concerned. Yeah, the Globe certainly has announced that uh, Massachusetts is increasingly becoming a hotspot. Um, yeah, uh, talking to my family that is still in Raleigh, I don't know if our experience in terms of the day-to-day -day is all that dissimilar. Um, I think grocery stores have put a few more precautions into place. Like there is, uh, you can only go in one direction down the aisles. Um, mm -hmm. And they've mapped out six feet in terms of where you stand in line. And there is glass in, uh, in between you and the checkout person. Yeah. And they're uh, and uh, there is an order to wear masks outside at all times. And I'm in Brookline, um, and they just made that announcement. Um, so uh, I, I think those are some of the differences. But we're still at home all the time. Or do, you, do you have masks? Uh, I mean, do, do people just have masks lying around, or how do you how do you comply um, with that order? My mom, who lives in Raleigh, uh, has uh, has been making masks. She's sewing by hand, and I get them in the mail, and then I wipe down the mail with uh, yeah. alcohol, uh, and then I hand wash the mask. Yeah, we've been doing the same thing at our place. Uh, uh, although there isn't a requirement to wear masks here, I think, right now. I think that's sort of a, man a, a voluntary thing rather than a mandatory thing. Um, you were you were doing. Um, I know you had uh, a show in, in progress at the Wheelock, two and you, two shows. Uh, yeah. And so, what's the disposition on those? Have you been able to save either of them, or are they are they gone? Uh, so we were. It was actually we were being super bold, and it was the first time that we were going to do two shows in rep with each other. We were going to do the Little Prince and But Not Buddy, mm -hmm. um, and we had a huge outpouring of uh, interest from schools, in particular for But Not Buddy. Um, and we are still committed to telling those stories, and think they are incredibly important for our young audiences to experience. So we're moving that. Um, um, we're, we're, we're postponing and we will announce exactly when, uh, uh, when we're moving those shows, but, uh, that will be in the future, but we did pause for this season. Um, we're also attached with Boston University and Boston University has announced no in-person programming through August 15th. And now we're waiting on 
the announcement about what fall will look like. No, no in-person programming through August 15th. Is that what you said? <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and uh, so let's, uh, let's switch gears just a little bit, if you don't mind, Emily, and talk, uh, talk just a bit about um, Romeo and Juliet. Um, it's been a while since you, since you've worked on that show for us, but I know you yeah. know it very well. Um, do you, I you, had to go yeah. the way back <laughs> yeah, way back four years ago. What uh, what yeah. were your uh, your main experiences uh, in working on that production? Having worked on it as an actor um, those year, you know, those many years before, and what I imagine was something of a formative experience for you. Yeah, it's intimidating to work on a play that is such an incredible classic, but also is a play that I love so much. Um, and grew up doing, right? Mm -hmm. um, so no small challenge. So I think we, uh, the scenic designer, Jordan Jacob and I thought about like, what do we absolutely need to tell this story and nothing else? And that was um, two households, both alike in dignity, plus some way to elevate Juliet in the balcony scene mm -hmm. and that became two ladders and that was really it um yeah. and then i had also seen at american dance festival um which is always incredibly inspiring um a, a, a number of years before that uh uh Sheva dance company an israeli dance company do this piece that was so athletic it was violent um, but it was dance. And so, you know, taking a cue from that and also West Side Story, although our dance was not balletic in any way, um, and having worked with Michaela Sococcio as, as a dancer and an actor when she was in Brigadoon, um, I really wanted us to collaborate on that. Um, so all of the, all of the fights yeah. instead of being fight choreography were dance and no weapons were involved chairs were involved but no weapons were involved um but then we said what you still find a chair every once in a while in the theater that's kind of mangled and i <laughs> oh i know where that came from <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, sweet. Um, and so, uh, so um, the two ladders um, give you um, a couple of things, it seems to me, that are, that are interesting. They give you levels, um, which has a kind of dynamic uh, quality to it and, and is essential, I think, in any performance space, but especially in a small one. Um, and then they give you the um, um, the material, you know, that's that steel that they were they were fashioned out of, which which creates a um, a certain sense about it that one doesn't necessarily think of with um, Shakespeare. When you think of Shakespeare, you think of the wooden O, and you think of maybe oh. uh, the roughs, you know, and things like that. But uh, but the steel cr brings a different uh, idea into the world of the play. And did that help or inform you as a director that the material that the uh, ladders were made from, or or did you just let them speak for themselves? Yeah, I guess I hadn't thought I thought about uh, the materiality in terms of the time period in which Shakespeare was writing and 
the globe. But uh, I think um, the, the, the two ladders also, as they were two households, what ends up bridging them is, was this um, piece that doubled as the bed and then the bed turned into the funeral year prior yeah. thing. Where they um, later on. Yeah. So, so I hadn't thought about that, but it did. Um, it did make for the two families coming together and then splitting mm -hmm. apart. Mm -hmm. And uh, and you worked with uh, a number of actors in that uh, production that you had uh, had worked with before here. At Raleigh, is that in Raleigh? Is that correct? Yeah, you've you've built a beautiful family there. Mm, well, uh, all together, I think. Uh, I hope. Uh, but uh, is that a different experience uh, as a director? You know, I think that um, uh, again, sometimes when we think of um, directors, you know, coming in to direct something, maybe we think about the idea of a of a of a company that's cobbled together, but. Um, but in this case, it was a director who had literally grown up with uh, some of these cast uh, members and, and worked with them professionally and otherwise before. And um, so I just wonder if that's a different experience for you. Is that something you like? Do you like uh, working with new people that you don't have a relationship with? How, how does that work for you as a director? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 like it's coming home. It's not, I was about to say it's like coming home, but it's not like I'm actually coming home. I'm from Raleigh. I'm staying with my parents. I'm working with actors, you know, um, I think in the Romeo and Juliet company, Mark Filiacci is the one that I've worked with the longest. We did Einstein's dreams together. In our second before. season yeah, before Romeo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a, uh, how long has Burning Coal been around? This is uh, the begin. We're about to begin our twenty fourth season. Hopefully, knock on wood. Yeah. So I've known him for twenty three years. Um, so there, there's a shorthand and uh, rehearsal. Rehearsal. You're always short for rehearsal time, but rehearsal time goes farther when you have a common vocabulary and um, uh, and you really truly want to spend time with each other. Sure. And what, what if you were, what if you, that's not the case? Like uh, you, you've done freelance directing in situations where you were working with actors that you met for the first time at the first read through, I imagine, or fairly close to that maybe. Um, how is that uh, for you as a director? Do you like that? Do you, is it a, more of a challenge for you? How, how does that work for you? I'm asking because I already oh. <laughs> Well, I mean, you're always just figuring out, uh, like, what is the way in for another person? And you're doing that dance of collaboration with each other and figuring out, you know, a director's job really is to just uh, work with artists of different mediums to bring out their very best, you know, like, I'm a generalist and, uh, <laughs> and have uh, few skills in a lot of different areas, but I work with experts in all of those different areas. Um, so I'm just working with the actor expert to try and figure out how to bring out their best. You hear actors a lot of times talk about um, acting uh, and the, the phrase, um, express myself comes up a lot you know that a lot of actors will say that's why they act because they are looking for a platform that allows them to express themselves and um, but I, as a director i always think that my 
um, mission, if you will, is uh, to express the playwright. Um, and so I just wonder, is that a, is that a balance that's hard to um, juggle for you or, or no? I guess I would actually throw out a third option, which may be too wedded to semantics, but I feel like my, uh, my job is to serve the play because I have no idea what the playwright's intentions sure, were. Sure, sure. Um, and can but, the, uh, the individual actor's um, need for self-expression fit into that, uh, that service to the play? Or, or is that something you have to give lip service to and then move on and do what you want? Uh, I, guess, I guess I haven't actually encountered the, the, the self-expression hurdle. Um, you know, maybe it's because my job is to channel that into serving the play. Um, Good. Okay. I'm just curious. Uh, it's it's yeah. a thing that I keep hearing uh, uh, over and over again, and it always causes my head to spin a little bit. Uh, um, my, yeah. uh, my next question for you, back to Romeo and Juliet, is um, um, there's a famous uh, joke that Mel Brooks, I think, told once where he uh, was talking to a, another Jewish man, and he said, uh, what um, what's your beef with the Nazis? You know, um, and I always think about that joke with um, with Shakespeare. What is what's with this guy Shakespeare? You know, why is he? Why does he continue to pop up? Why does he continue to to be meaningful to us in uh, you know four hundred and something years after he died? You know, what what is it about that writer? Well, I was thinking. Um earlier today, knowing that we were going to chat, like, what does Romeo and Juliet mean now, <laughs> right, in, in our context right now? Yeah. And yeah. I think, I, uh, and I went back to the quote, which I thought was from Romeo and Juliet, and then I looked it up, and I realized it's from Twelfth Night. <laughs> well, glad you caught that, too. It's definitely not from Romeo and Juliet, but I think you know it's it's in the it's in the Romeo and Juliet milieu, which mm -hmm. is uh, love leaps all civil bounds, and I and I think there's there's something epic about the human will to prevail in all of his uh, in all of his writing, right? Um, and that uh, love wins. Even if they die at the end. Uh, Even if they die at the end, those families came together and found a way to love each other. We'll put a sign that says spoiler alert up before <laughs> right. part of this. Uh, but I do, I do find myself always hoping, you know, in a good production of the play that, uh, that they'll somehow come through, you know, um, which is extraordinary really because we, we all know the story. I mean, everybody knows the story, but uh, um yeah, it, it uh, it's uh, it's an interesting thing, but a lot of Shakespeare's plays are are not about that particular idea. Oh, sure. Yeah, and they do, you know, they do Lear. Uh, I mean, is this is there a better time to do Lear than right now? You know, uh, is there uh, a better time to do any of those stories? Yeah, it it does seem like that. Uh, yeah, uh, Coriolanus. Uh, um, maybe not Titus. We were going to do that this summer, and <laughs> now rethinking that one. Maybe not, maybe not. But there's something epic about the language that feels like the entire universe is in a single line. 
written, right? Like when, when you, when you speak the text, you've, your, your heart feels full, but also your mouth feels full when you, when you, uh, really let the poetry fly. How did, how did that happen though? I mean, and why did it only happen that one time? And you know, who, who was this guy? I, I just think it's such an interesting. A magician. A what? A magician? A magician. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any personal uh, theories about, uh, about who, who Shakespeare was or who, who wrote Shakespeare? Do you have any, I know there's a lot of different theories out there. Yeah, I, uh, I, I actually have uh, one of my, one of my quarantine books next up on the list. I actually just finished reading Song of Spider-Man, which I highly recommend. Do you know this book? No. Uh, is it? <laughs> Sorry, I'm making Alex cut things right now. Um, but the comic book? Or? No, it's about the making of the Spider-Man musical. It's by Glenn Berger. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, it's brilliant. Um, but next up on my list is Will in the World. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that one I know. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, Shapiro, I believe. Is that uh, James Shapiro? Maybe. The, maybe. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I guess I, uh, I, I buy into the story that it was, that it was one person and that that's be, because I think there, there's more, um, poetry and hope and magic to there being one superhuman person. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Yeah. What, what, do, you, what do you buy into? Well, I, I think so. And I, I've always found it um, kind of offensive uh, to suggest otherwise. You know, there's, for some reason, there's this need for us to attribute anything good to um, this sort of elite subset of the world. So it has to have been this Duke, you know, who wrote it, or it has to have been this famous uh, writer from another medium. Uh, you know, it can't have just been a guy, you know, somebody who, who sort of just did it, you know. And, um, and that seems very um, actually anti-intellectual to me um, because it suggests that somehow other, other aspects of a person's experience um, is is the fuel to brilliance rather than brilliance, you know, rather than just the, the ideas that happen in the human mind. So, um, yeah, I, I've always thought that Shakespeare was Shakespeare and, um, you know, anyway. Um, there's, brilliance and thievery, yeah. right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I meant. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, pre-copyright law, none of those stories were original. Can I can I uh, tell the story about uh, your um, um, production at uh, at your college that I saw? Um, um, you know, Galileo. The, Galileo, yeah. Um, yeah, sure. So so I went up there to see it, uh, and um, and I was sitting there, and it was probably two or three minutes before uh, the curtain went up, you know, and uh, suddenly I hear this person running down a hall behind me, and I look over, and it's Emily, and she's running toward me, you know, down this hall. She comes running, and she sits down right next to me, and she leans over and says, I forgot to mention that you may see some things in this production that uh, that you've already seen on a burning coal stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am also a thief. 
Well, there you go. Uh, Emily, thank you for, for doing uh, Romeo and Juliet for us twice. And, uh, and thank you for everything. And, uh, and do uh, stay safe up there. Do you have anything you want to say at the end to the Raleigh theater world that might be look, listening in or looking in? Um, Forget me not. Yes, stay safe, be well, much love. Okay. We'll Fair enough. Back. Yeah. Okay. All right, and we'll uh, we'll talk down the road and uh, and look uh, look forward to more yeah. in our future. Likewise, thank you so much. Hey, when is this airing? Uh, the the show uh, will will live stream. It's not really live streaming, but it's streaming starting on Friday evening of this week at seven right. uh, p.m. And then it disappears, right? Because no, I tried to finish up Peter Pan. Well, it's, it should be available throughout the week. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, so I'll go finish Peter Pan. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's available as a, as a YouTube or whatever film, but it's on our yeah. website. And then starting on Friday at 7 o'clock, uh, Romeo and Juliet will be there as well, uh, live, and uh, as close to live as a four-year-old yeah, yeah. can be. And, uh, and then we'll be available for the following week, and then we'll end our series uh, with the Greeks. Um, uh, the three uh, Oedipus uh, plays, uh, which are quite good, and I hope uh, hope you'll join us for that. Thank you for listening. Join us this Friday at 7 p.m. for the premiere streaming of William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, available at burningcoal.org. Romeo and Juliet will be available on our website through April 30th. So don't miss out on this truly enduring classic.